Yo, what's up, guys? We are the Right Potatoes. This is our intro, and I'm your host, Steven. <laughs> I'm your host, James. And we are the, the Right Potatoes. Potatoes. Come back at you hot as fuck. <laughs> With another sick ass motherfucking episode. <laughs> this is episode 110, guys. 110. God damn. We're deep in there. Probably the deepest we'll ever get in our lives. That's very true for me. <laughs> <laughs> probably not you with that girthy member. <laughs> anyway, you probably couldn't tell from our sick ass intro, but the movie that we are covering this week is Nocturnal Animals. Nocturnal Animals was released on November 23rd, 2016 and was directed by Tom Ford. The film had a budget of $22.5 million and went on to make $32.4 million in the box office. Oh, the film stars Amy Adams, Jake Gyllenhaal, Michael Shannon, Aaron T- Taylor Johnson, and Isla Fisher. Isla. 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 Is it I, silent? I, I don't know. I, I say it as Isla. Island Fisher. There you go. <laughs> It's short for island. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll take it. Anyway, um, yeah, this movie was one that the homie Rance actually, I watched at his house. Ooh. He was like, hey, you ever seen this? I was like, absolutely not, but uh, I'm down to watch it. So, watched it, thought it was pretty freaking good, and I was like, yo, Beef, let's do this freaking movie. So, here we are, guys. Yeah, I didn't, I knew of this movie, but I never, I didn't hear anything about it. like, flew under the radar for me. I remember... I think seeing, I wasn't really, um, I didn't like the title, I guess. Okay. I was like, huh, but it wasn't one I was like, yeah, I'm going to go see that in theaters. Which, and the title to me now after watching the movie has a little bit of a different meaning, I yeah. guess. Um, I wasn't really sure about this movie in the first place. I, I went into it completely blind, not knowing Same. anything about it. And then you get that fucking intro to the movie, and you're just like, what the fuck yeah, is I'm this? Like, I'm, I could I could see why this movie didn't do as didn't do as well like or didn't make as much money. Yeah, because the first five minutes you're just like, yeah, what the fuck am I watching? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm sure the people who went to theaters are like, uh, am I in the right movie? <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought too, and I'm just like, what the fuck did he make me watch? <laughs> it's it's pretty interesting, so you should go check it out. It is. I don't want to explain it because I want you to watch the beginning and just yeah, tell us what you think. But like. <laughs> With the vest of night, like I watched this movie probably like ten thirty last night. Okay. And then, I was, like, interested the whole way through. Like I couldn't, I could, I could have easily been like, yeah, I'm gonna pick this up in the morning and watch it again. Like no, I was like, I gotta finish this movie tonight. Yeah. I want to see what the fuck happens. I'm invested. I'm invested. There, that's the word I'm looking for. Invested. That's definitely it. Which that that was me with the movie too. Like, uh, because when we were watching it, there were like the kids playing and shit like that, and I was yeah. literally just sitting there like. What the fuck is yeah. going on? What where is this movie going now? And it was it was intense. It was just a really fucking intense movie. Um, yeah, I, I I don't really. We'll we'll obviously give probably some spoilers in it, um, but really fucking intense movie. Yeah, it would be what I would call ven- vengeance porn or uh, revenge porn, revenge if you porn, will. Yeah. So. It was good though. I did like it. Jake Gyllenhaal, of course, he's a fucking great actor. Knocked it out of the park, but yeah. I hated his fucking character in, the, in his story. Yeah, if you will, the um, story within the movie. Yeah. Yes, because he was a fucking bitch. Yeah, and it just really pisses me off. So, anyway, that's 
That's my thoughts for now. Yeah, like, <laughs> what else could I say with him? I was... It's still... The movie is still with me. Like, after watching it last night and driving over here and thinking about it, I'm like, this movie... It did something to me. No. <laughs> it awoken something. No, it's just like... Not a lot of movies do that for me where I keep fucking, like... Well, keep thinking about different possibilities of what happened in the movie. Yeah. And trying to, like, dis- dissect it. There you go. To, like, trying to make sense of the ending and this and that. Yeah, which... This one for me was more like, obviously more metaphorical. Yeah. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to explain exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. Essentially, what it is is there's a writer and you're viewing his story through the thoughts of his ex-wife. Yeah. And so basically, as the story is being played, she is thinking of the characters in the story as herself, her daughter, and the husband. Yeah. And so you're getting that view. You're getting what's in her imagination as she's reading through this story from her ex-husband. And then there's some fucking events that happen in it, and you're just like, holy fuck. Yeah, so much so that it's affecting her life outside of reading the book. Correct. To where she, like, I assume she read it all in one night. Yeah. I want to think. And then she, like, throughout the whole movie, you just keep on... It picks up where, like, the scenes leave off. In the book, so I, I take it like she read it multiple times. Yeah. Yeah, and like it fucking eats at her. Yeah. It really fucking eats at her. And basically, I think for him, the story that he's written is like a reflection of... Like cathartic for him? Yeah. Yeah. Like finally getting all the stuff out in this, like... Because in the movie, they haven't t- spoke... They, they haven't talked to each other in like 20 years. Yeah. And then out of nowhere, he's like, I wrote this book. I want you to read it and see how... Let's see what you think. Yeah, and then throughout this, this it, it takes place like a, kind of over a weekend, and it just fucking ruined her life. Yeah, <laughs> straight up. Which the story, like I was saying, for, and especially like maybe it's him reflecting on like his weakness, yeah. essentially, like he, he how he views himself as mm-hmm. like a fucking a bitch, essentially. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's really it's really good. It was interesting to yeah, see like it I all fucking develop, and I can't stop thinking about it. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, it's yeah. Anyways, uh, here's the synopsis: <laughs> A successful Los Angeles art gallery owner's idyllic life is marred by the constant traveling of her handsome second husband. While he is away, she is shaken by the arrival of a manuscript written by her first husband, who she has not seen in years. Like we just said, the manuscript tells the story of a teacher who finds. A who finds a trip with his family turning into a nightmare. As Susan reads the book, it forces her to examine her past to confront some dark truths. Yeah. She realizes how shitty of a human she was. Yeah. And, like, her situation now it's is much worse, worse than, what, than it what it was. Yep. Much worse than what he she had put him through, mm-hmm. essentially. But now it's happening to her, so she's bummed. And then he's like, go fuck yourself. And I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so you guys can kind of see what we're working with here. Here are the statistics. The tomato meter gave it a 73%. This is an average rating of 7 out of 10. Total ratings, 303. 223 being fresh. 80 being rotten. The audience gave it a 74%. Average rating of 3.7 out of 5. Total ratings, more than 25,000. IMDb gave it a 7.5 out of 10. Movie Insider gave it a 3 out of 5. And 76% of Google users like this movie. Hmm, so sitting around kind of... the 70-ish percentage. Yeah. Percentile, if you will. Which I... 
I know we like to talk about like our scores more towards the end, so I won't talk too much about it. But I think this might be a little low for yeah. my liking. Same. Because um, I think the movie was a lot... Uh, it, it almost reminds me of like a Donnie Darko-esque, where you actually have to like fucking pay attention to the movie mm-hmm. and like get get the actual hints or their, uh, the, the metaphors of the movie yeah. in order to understand it. So it's like, it's one of those for me. Yeah, but unlike Donnie Darko, it didn't make me, it didn't make me feel stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of it, I'm like, what the f- yeah. Here's my take of Donnie Darko. I like, I liked it well enough, but I didn't understand why everyone likes it. Okay. To where, like, I finished it and I'm like, am I fucking stupid? <laughs> Did I don't get it. Yeah, honestly, like, when you're thinking of Donnie Darko, most people, like, emphasize just Frank the Bunny. You yeah. Have, you have no fucking knowledge of who Frank the Bunny is, and that's what you are given at face value for the movie. So you're thinking it's going to be like, oh, shit, like, it's a scary bunny. Something that's like it. that. And then it's like, has to do with time travel. Time travel kind of don't make sense. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> just like, anyways, yeah, let's, let's not talk about Donnie Darko, because <laughs> I don't know who likes that movie, but... Good for you. Hey, fuck off, dude. All right. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> if you get it, don't waste your breath explaining it to me. <laughs> yeah. That's so fucking good. Teach their own, all right, guys. Yeah. Come on. You like what you like. <laughs> and I happen to own that movie now, so it is what it is. <laughs> Anyways, critics' positive reviews. Critics' positive reviews. Nocturnal Animals is a dark, dense, and beautifully crafted thriller with a killer. Ending that will stick with you long after it's over. True, it has. It's <laughs> Poor Beef is fucking traumatized for me. Like, I like that book. It just ruined my fucking life, too. <laughs> yeah, dude. Which, yeah, watching the movie, I was like, this is going to get, this is going to go to a place that I don't want it to go. Uh-huh. And I was like, and I already know it is, but hopefully I get some sort of comfort after it's over. Yeah, I liked why, I liked how I didn't know what was going to happen next. Yeah. Within like the, the story within the story. Yeah. This one, I would say, um, in comparison, it kind of reminds me of the, like, a Last House on the Left or a fucking... Yeah. Uh, Stray Dogs. Or oh, Straw Dogs. Straw Dogs. Oh, there you go. Stray fuck, Dogs. dude. Straw Dogs. Is Something like, yeah, they're the revenge. One. But, yeah. But it's, like, it's the it's the opposite of that because the the father figure is not, like, he doesn't, be, he doesn't become the hero. He becomes the hero, but he's not, like, he doesn't, like, go crazy. Yeah. He's crazy with guilt and, and like, this is my he, fault. This he and that. beats like, the shit out of himself. He doesn't, like... Yeah. He doesn't really give a shit about the other guys. But then, the, the fucking cop in the story who's helping him or whatever, he's... I loved his character. He's the one who, like, we're gonna do this. Yeah, he's like, fuck yeah, I'm already dying. I have nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. I'm 100% down. And that's what the... The father character should have been where, like... Correct. I'm wasting all my money, all my time. This is what I want to do. Yep. Oh, man. It's so good. It is. Just, <laughs> please watch it. Yes, please. It's on Netflix. So, you, everyone has Netflix. Come on now. Everyone. And if you don't, steal your friends. Yeah, everyone has their friend's password. Amen. <laughs> Number two, Nocturnal Animals, pre- Nocturnal Animals' pristine, meticulous design and aesthetic choices, along with its big-name cast and fall release, will earn it in the distinction of a prestige drama, or at best, psychological thriller. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Tom Ford has crafted an exceptional film, proving himself as a director to be taken seriously. He has a specific style, much like David Fincher or a Coen Brothers. Or the Coen Brothers. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I agree with that. 
Nocturnal Animals is a one-of-a-kind experience. It's sexy, dangerous, horrific, and will linger with you long after it's over. Hey! Yeah. <laughs> at least you're not the only one. Yeah, dude. I'm just it's like, literally... sat, at, <laughs> yeah. sat at my dinner table, fucking contemplating my life after the like, What the fuck did I just watch, dude? God damn it. I gotta go to sleep. It's two yeah. in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with so many superhero action-packed movies erupting from Hollywood in the last few years, this is certainly a welcome change. Yes. Which, again, I, I don't know how I didn't see this movie. Yeah, I just remember... Like, I remember the... not I remember seeing the advertisements, but I'm like... Yeah. For me, I'm like, I'm not feeling it. Yeah, I remembered the name, but I didn't know anything about what the movie was about. When so. you suggested it, I thought it was that movie um, with Anne Hathaway. I forget what it's called. Oh, uh, it's like... I was she thinking kills her was, husband. I was thinking Nightcrawler. Yeah. Nightcrawler is a good one, which I've never seen. I know that has Jake it, Gyllenhaal in it as it's, well. It's really good and really fucking dark too. Is it this dark? Did it stick with you like this one? Kind no, yeah. When I watched it, I was like, "Why didn't I see this fucking movie in theaters?" Ooh, that good. Ooh. Yeah, but I bought it on a I whim. Hate that. I hate when I miss movies. Yeah, and you're just like, I. <sighs> God damn it! And then sometimes it comes down to like life. You know what I mean? I, I agree. Yeah. Sometimes you just don't have that opportunity. Yeah, but... you don't have time and you're just like, fuck. Well, it is what it is now. I'm trying to find that movie where it is. No, you're totally fine. I'll go through the critics' negative reviews while you... B finds that. Critics' negative reviews. Yes, the performances are almost universally excellent, but the depictions don't seem to serve as much more than provocating material for a dirty pulp story. False. It, the movie is called Serenity. Oh, okay. Is that yeah. the that's the one? That's not the one I'm thinking. A fishing of. It's boat, a different one. Yeah, a fishing boat captain juggles juggles facing his mysterious past and finding himself ensnared in a reality where nothing is what it seems. That's what I thought. Huh? Is it good? Have you seen that? Um, spoiler. I haven't seen it, but I heard the the twist. Mm-hmm. Turns out they're all characters in a video game. What? Yeah. Oh. Which, yeah. I'll watch that. That sounds kind of fun. Maybe. But yeah, when I like... Talking back more about this movie, I like... The first five... After the weird opening, and when she goes home, I was like, this movie feels like it was made in the 50s. Like, I felt like a okay. 50s-esque movie to me. Okay. I can see that. It was it was different, for sure. And like, the way that it jumped around... Yeah. It didn't really tell you what the fuck was going on, or it didn't let you know... If it was actually real. Yeah. And then towards, like, as it starts developing more, you notice, like, oh, she just got a call from her daughter. Yeah, so after that, I was just like, oh, she's reading the book. Yeah. And I was like, dang. Fucking so good. Yeah. It's really good. Because at first I thought it was, like, it's happening in the... I thought it was happening in the past. That's what I thought. And then, like, after the her the first arc, the first few chapters or something, when she dropped, she drops the manuscript, and mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, fuck, she's reading the book. Yeah. Because, yeah, I was trying, I was like trying to figure that shit out too. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And then you find, like, spoilers again, um, like when they're both found dead on the couch, I'm like, well, he can't be talking to his ex wife or like, she can't, she's not there. Yeah. If this is the case. So this is obviously part of the story. Yeah. And I liked how I, where it didn't go where I thought it was going to go because I was like, they're going to try and pin it on him. Yeah. Like, he's not from there. So they're just going to say he killed his wife and daughter. And then it, it became something else entirely. Yeah. It's fantastic, though. Yeah. It's great. Um, number two. Nocturnal Animals matches Tom Ford's A Single Man in terms of its visual vibrancy and solid performances, but it has opted to replace its beating heart 
with a lit leaden leaden paperweight paperweight with leaden paperweight. Mm. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, I mean, um, a single man. What's that? What's his. That? That's, I think that's his first movie. Was it he good? Made. I have never seen. It. Oh, okay, cool. Well, it must not be that good then. All right, number three. The biggest problem isn't the tone or the style or the delivery. It's the irresolute payoff and the timidity of intentions. Okay, hmm. I guess. I don't know. I think it ended pretty well. It yeah. left on a note where it still makes you think and it obviously lingers with you. Beef. True. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number four. Some have been comparing this to the ho- the holy trinity of surreal noir. Hitchcock, Lynch, and Kubrick. But for me, it's more like a blood-spattered glossy magazine come to life. That doesn't sound negative. That sounds kind of cool. Yeah, that sounds positive to me. <laughs> hey, good job. You guys are idiots. Um, n- last one for the negatives. Nocturnal Animals is stylish. It is thrilling at times, but writer-director Tom Ford's... Did you hear my voice crack last night? Uh, Tom Ford's film seems more concerned with looking good than actually serving up a quality film. Lie. Bullshit. You seem more concerned in writing a shitty review than actually watching a movie. I yeah. like it. So <laughs> eat my ass. And listen to these sponsors. Be right back. What's up, taters and tots? This is Steven from The Ripe Potatoes, of course, because that's what you're listening to. Coming to talk to you about White Raven Body Co. White Raven Body Co. is a handcrafted skincare using natural ingredients. It's small batch produced body butters. Great for all skin types and especially sensitive skins. They help reduce and prevent stretch marks. We all know these past couple of years have been rough, but hey, why not give the gift of love and self-care? You got to do something, guys. And it's made domestically. So go out, support a small business. You can check them out on Instagram at White Raven Body Co. Or you can check them out on their website at www.whiteravenbodyco.com. Thanks, Taters and Tots. Welcome back. Welcome. And we are here to greet you, bitches. (laughs) I don't know if that's rude or not. (laughs) Uh, I don't see it. No, it's not. Shut up, it's not. Okay. All right. <laughs> Let's jump in right. Let's just blah, blah, blah. Audience positive reviews. Audience positive reviews. <laughs> I love the tension Ford is keeping by using uh, by using three time level editing. The score and the long pause on characters' faces. Good photography and costumes. Okay. Yeah. I like it. Uh, a captivating direction and script. Aaron Johnson and Jake Gyllenhaal deliver good performances that make up for the presence of Amy Adams. Damn. Damn, dig on her. <laughs> They're just like, hey, great movie, but fuck that girl. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my god, what a wonderful movie. Uh, the movie takes such a gigantic approach to so many themes, and maybe this is the best ending to a movie I've ever watched in my life. I love you, Jake Gyllenhaal. Shut up. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. It wasn't the best ending to a movie, but... I can't even tell you what the best ending to a movie is ever. Um, Probably The Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz where she wakes up and everything's normal. <laughs> everything's just a fucking... But you were there. You were there. Was I? Oi. We were. Oh, yeah, I'm kind of like, what is the best ending to a movie? Ooh, that's a dangerous one, dude. Um, Let's, let's dwell on it. Let's, let's say we should put a pin in it. Okay. And then okay. We'll, we'll we'll swing back to it. Not in this episode, but probably in a future one. Okay. I, I would say yes. Let's come back. Because we could, yeah, talk all, a lot about the best endings. There's there's a lot. I feel like there's, like, really good ones. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, I, can't, I can't wait. <laughs> oh, where were our... Number four. Beautifully written. This is my first Tom Ford movie. And to be honest, I wasn't expecting much. Wow. The writing, acting, and visuals are absolutely stunning. Same. 
Shouts out. Hundred percent. That was my first Tom Ford. And yeah, I think it was mine. Mine too. I don't really know what other movies he's done. So yeah, probably mine. <laughs> and lastly, interesting premise and good execution. Great acting. Good quality cinematography. Some shots are pretty amazing. Captivating. Thrilling. Ooh, nice review. Yeah. Which I I think the the way this film is shot is pretty damn good too. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was it was a good time. Not really. But then it was also like a not in a bad way though. Um, it was just good. I liked it overall. Oh yeah. So. But you know what I didn't like are these audience negative reviews, bitch. Audience negative reviews. Number one, the opening slow mo nude obesity parody is hard. A uh, parade is hard to watch. Well, we told you that we weren't going to talk about the intro, but somebody did. So. I'm not going to keep going. Anyway, and the nonfiction parts of the film are fairly tedious, but the story within the story delivers. Okay, so that's kind of like an on-the-fence, um, an on-the-fence review, but I'm okay with it. And uh, I would 100% agree with that. Mm-hmm. So, um, I can't understand the high scores on this one. Maybe the teenager, maybe by teenagers. It's generic assholes on the road type of film. Harassing innocents. Been done too many times. Cops not stopping when hailed. Cops not interested in pursuing said assholes. Not a good film. Which is false. Because we literally just talked about the one who's like, There's yeah, one cop fuck yeah. once. Yeah. yeah, dude, come on. Get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> Number three. The fact garbage like this gets such high rating is proof that the masses are desperate to be entertained. Setting the bar very low. Very, very low. Over-the-top cruelty and violence to hide the fact that the director didn't have anything to tell or original to show. Waste of time. Which, that's false, because if you want to be technical, there was no violence at all. Yeah. If you want to be like technical. <laughs> the aftermath of it, but you right. This is just anything. what, what yeah. was in her thoughts. Mm-hmm. I mean, even then, it was just technically not real. Yeah. But, anyway. Number four. No, I want to like it. Tom Ford has superb aesthetic taste, but he chose wrong material here. Hopefully we he won't lose his appetite for filmmaking. Okay. I don't think he will. I doubt he will. Yeah. <laughs> um, number five and last and least, because fuck you. It's less than rele- revelatory. It's more than depressing. It lacks any sympathetic protagonist. I couldn't wait for it to be over. But oh, the wickedly cynical ending makes it almost worthwhile. That was Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, it says. I think that's garbage. Yeah. So, good job. I think y'all are garbage. Oh, I hit him with a y'all. <laughs> um, I don't know. How do you feel about everything, Beef? What, what? I guess, what score would you give it? 90. Ooh. It's a high. Yeah, like, Ooh, that's after a, I seen like the, the 70s, I was just like, no, this deserves to be, like, for me, 90. Okay. I, w- I was going to say, like, an 88. Yeah. So, it, it was high, a lot higher for me, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, super solid fucking movie. I think maybe if it stuck with me like it did for you, it might have been a little bit higher yeah. too. But like I'm surprised it isn't higher. But yeah, this is the first. Oh, it's always the first number that pops in my head. Yeah. And then ninety. It's solid fucking movie. Yes. Definitely uh, underrated from what we've seen because we obviously hadn't heard too much of it. Um, but yeah, so everyone, be sure to go check it out. But first, listen to these fun facts with James, baby. <laughs> And now, fun facts with James. That's me. Although he is known as a fashion designer, director Tom Ford chose to leave the the costuming uh, in the film strictly to the costume designer. 
Not a single Tom Ford product appears in the film, as Ford didn't want a commercial. Oh, I didn't know that he was a fucking fashion designer. I, like, the name was familiar, but I didn't know, like, from what. Huh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, Focus Features paid $20 million for global distribution rights after a heavy bidding battle in, can- in Cannes. This is the highest amount ever paid for a film at a festival. Oh, shit. Yeah. That's kind of tight. Uh, Tom Ford personally groomed Aaron Taylor Johnson's facial hair for his creepily Wade Marcus character. Mm. That's fun. Let's just get up close to him. That's what I would do. <laughs> Aaron Taylor Johnson was cast as Ray Marcus after Tom Ford had dined with Aaron and his wife and longtime Ford friend Sam Taylor Johnson. Aaron did not think he was suitable for the role at all. But over the course of dinner, Ford saw a glimmer of something that he found intriguing in Aaron's facial expressions as he recounted a story at the dinner table. He then won a Golden Globe Award for his performance. He won a Golden Globe for it? Yeah. Oh my god. Tom Ford edited edited this film at his London, London design studio where he would bide his time between his fashion fittings and editing for four to five hours daily. God damn. Right? Busy man. I'm into that. <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix was considered for Aaron Taylor Johnson's role, but eventually dropped out. I think that would have been good, too. It would have been so... I think he it would have been more the, unhinged. Yeah. yeah, he could fit that part 100%. Yeah. So, I'm into that, though. Tom Ford was looking forward to making a comedy before this film, but he has revealed it was so inappropriate that it's possible it will never be made. <laughs> <laughs> means I'd probably like it. Yeah, for real. <laughs> Director of photography Seamus McGarvey stated that this film is his favorite project he's ever worked on. Oh, shit. Yeah. That's fucking tight. In the film, the story takes place in Los Angeles, but in the novel, the story takes place in Chicago. Chicago's... uh, Which one do you think is more violent? Los Angeles or Chicago? Chicago, for real. I was going to (laughs) say, (laughs) dude. That's tight. The inspiration for some of the events in Edward's book can be seen in the flashback scenes. For example, when Susan is criticizing, criticizing Edward's book and telling him that she should give up, he should give up writing, she's on a bright red sofa. In the book, when Tony's wife and child, mm-hmm. Laura and India, are murdered, they are dumped on a bright red sofa. Similarly, when Susan splits up with Edward, the scene ends with him standing alone beside a, beside a green Pontiac car, the same car driven by the killers in the book. Ooh. I noticed the car. Which, which, you know, it's funny as I noticed the couch. I was literally about to say that too. I was like, I noticed the couch. Yeah. But that's kind of crazy. That's funny. We noticed different things. I know. We're pretty good. Tom Ford has established in interviews that the ending is intended to be interpreted uh, subjectively by the viewer. Ford did, or Edward did not, did not show up either because he still loves her and it is too painful to see her again. Or because she gave him the inspiration and strength that he needed to write his masterpiece and move on. It's up to the audience to decide that. Dude, that ending is so good. Yeah. I actually really like the ending a lot. Because I'm like, yeah, fuck you. It was a big fuck you. Yeah. That's what I thought it My first initial thought was like, I hope he show like, I wanted him to show up. Yeah. I was like, I hope they get back together. But then like, as the scene drug on and like, she just like, everyone was leaving and she was still there. I was like, I'm glad he didn't show up. Yeah. It, it makes for a definitely like a different, a different ending. Yeah. You weren't expecting it, pro- like you were saying. You're like, yeah, I kind of hope he shows up, but then, nah, bruh. Yeah, good. I'm glad <laughs> he ain't coming, motherfucker. <laughs> the color green shows up in crucial scenes throughout the film. This is linked to ill-fated situations. For example, 
in the Nocturnal Animals novel, the car the car that Ray and his gang uh, drive is green. The car used to drive Tony and his family off the road and kidnap his wife and daughter. Furthermore, Ray's cowboy boots throughout the uh, throughout most of the film are bright green, most notably during the attacks. The night vision video of the baby in the on the phone is naturally green when Susan imagines seeing Ray popping on the screen. She drops the phone, thus breaking it in the process. Ooh. When Susan breaks up with Edward in one of Susan's flashbacks, part, a part green car is seen in the background as Edward solemnly walks alone. This is the same type of car that Ray and his gang used in the novel. Ooh. In the flashbacks where Edward sees uh, Susan getting in the car with Hutton, the car is green. This was after Susan had gotten the abortion without telling Edward and basically cold cutting, coldly cutting con- off contact with him. And at the very end of the film, Susan wears a green dress for the dinner, with, uh, for her dinner date with Edward. Furthermore, at the restaurant she chose for the date, there are heavily uses of green in the aesthetics. Edward ultimately never shows up, thus leaving her alone and devastated. So good. Yeah. That green. I didn't notice there was that much green. I know. But I, obviously the car. But huh. Yeah. I really like that though because. If I watch it again, which I probably will at some point, yeah, it's like, oh, now I have a bunch more imagery to actually like look at. Yeah. Edward is never seen in present day. Jake Gyllenhaal only appears as Edward in flashbacks and as Tony in the novel storyline. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, you never really see him now. Yeah. It's just his story. Like, here you go. Take a look at this. Yeah. Um, I was thinking like, in the beginning when she, co- she goes home by herself and then he like, it cuts to the... The driveway again? Mm-hmm. Was that Edward? Do you think that was Edward or was that the husband? Uh, I'm not sure. Because I was thinking that, like, I was thinking about it, I was like, I think that was, that was probably Edward, like, dropping off the package. Dro- dropping off a... Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. That's, not, huh. that's my thought process. During the scene where Susan breaks up with Edward due to her disillusionment over their marriage, he says to her, when, you're, when you love somebody, you work it out. You don't just throw it away. You have to be careful with it. You might never get it again. Late, Susan later deduces that his statement meant, meant that Edward never found someone after their divorce. However, this, is, this statement actually foreshadowed Susan herself ending up in a miserable, loveless marriage with her second husband, Hutton. And... Uh, and the popular ending interpretation, Edward himself ultimately rejects her when he stood her up at the restaurant when she wanted to meet him after she finished reading his novel. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> it's so good. It is. In the original novel, there is no mention of Susan aborting her and Edward's unborn child without telling Edward. During their marriage, she never became pregnant by him. However, this is the plot point written for the film, and it added more depth to the strained relationship between Edward and Susan. That's fucking... That's cool. Yeah. That's his own input, I guess, for... Yeah, he needed more... Yeah, he needed to put more strain on why they broke up and yeah. why they couldn't be together. It is theorized that supposedly Edward wrote this masterpiece in an attempt to make Susan love him again and then leave her just as she did to him almost 20 years ago. Ooh, fuck. That's kind of tight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Susan is seen throughout the film... Uh, wearing dark makeup and dark nail polish. At the end of the film, she removes the dark makeup and dark nail polish when she's getting ready for the dinner date with Edward. This symbolizes Susan removing her cold facade. Yeah, I, was, I like that. Uh, I, well, after you read it to me, obviously. Yeah. I, I didn't really notice it prior. But like now that you mention it, it's like she doesn't want to have that same fucking uh, 
aesthetic to her. Mm-hmm. You know, that's pretty cool. Probably trying to show Edward that she's changed. Yeah. But she, ultimately she hasn't. She, hasn't. she became more cold and worse. In Edward's novel, Tony's wife and daughter are discovered dead on a red sofa. Tony is in shock and brokenhearted over the discovery. In one of Susan's later flashbacks, she and Edward are arguing over his writing material. The whole time, she is sitting on a bright red sofa that looks similar to the red sofa in the novel. She is putting him down by doubting his ability to legitimately write and not make his writing about himself. These, These statements made him upset. He then leaves the room dejected, saying that he only wanted her to like his material. Edward eventually used the red sofa in this book as a metaphor for when Susan broke his broke his heart for the first time. Although possibly a real reason why he uh, sent her a copy of his book was actually to prove to her that he can write and that writing is like art. Uh, it does require the author to sort of put himself into their work. Ooh, that's so good. Yeah. I like that too with the whole... I, and I think because obviously you get like flashes of her face as she's reading it. Mm-hmm. And it's like she's fucking starting to realize some of that shit too. Like, fuck. Like he actually used this as a reference. Yeah. And I'm like, ooh, it's so good. <laughs> Alright, this is a long one. <laughs> These are some long ones, but I love it. Uh, despite the ending being left up to the interpretation, some viewers curiously thought that the reason Edward never showed up to his dinner date with Susan was due to him committing suicide. It was argued that after writing the book and sending a copy to his ex-wife, Edward was still too broken by her and couldn't face her to where he ended his life. Also, another reason that this theory is that in his novel, Tony was clearly represented. Tony, who clearly represents him, dies at the end partly due to his actions, and some viewers viewed that as a symbol for Edward's own possible death. Others argued that this wouldn't make any sense due to the due to the logistics and the rationale of the situation, as well as what ultimately occurred in the original novel that the film is based on. Even though Edward never shows up during the present, he doesn't necessarily mean that he's committed suicide. And he, and what some have pointed out, since the film takes place mostly through Susan's point of view, it most it is most likely meant that he has finally moved on from her. In the novel, the reasons that he never shows up to the dinner date is due to him leaving town to promote his novel, and he didn't let Susan know that he wasn't going to show up to their date. Which I'm glad that wasn't mentioned or anything. Yeah. It's just, it left us I do to like interpret. that it yeah. leaves you to, yeah, to your own interpretation, because yeah. it's solid. Uh, one of Susan's, Susan's early flashbacks, she is seen talking to her mother over dinner. They're discussing their relationship with Edward and her mother's disdain towards him due to her perceived notion that he's not worthy and he he's not worthy and he isn't successful financially the mother comes off as vapid hard to please and a cold person this scene implies judging by their interaction that susan and her mother aren't very close ironically susan shows or susan slowly becomes more like her mother as time went on during her relationship with edward and afterward and terms of her cold demeanor furthermore susan's relationship with her own daughter samantha is shown to also be strained thus possibly repeating the cycle Ooh, i like that that's kind of cool at the end of the film susan takes off her wedding ring before going to the restaurant to meet edward Mm -hmm. it is theorized that she implies that this implies that susan's marriage with hutton is over and she wanted to start a new relationship with edward yeah i felt that i like that i i noticed that too and Mm -hmm. i was like oh yeah she she knows she fucked up. Yeah, that was kind of the spark. Yeah, that was kind of the spark where I was like, I kind of hope they get together again. But Which, then... I would have been okay if they did. Yeah. And, like, have her just be like, hey, I fucked up. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a piece of shit. I just want you to know that. Yeah. 
But at the same time, but I, I kind of like the middle finger. He wrote yeah. a whole book saying, like, fuck you. Yeah, straight up. <laughs> did you just put up the middle finger? No, huh. I did not. Uh, when Susan looks at the phone to view the baby monitor, she imagines seeing Ray popping into the screen, which makes her drop the phone. This is showing that the Nocturnal Animals novel was having a major emotional effect on her. Also, this shows Susan's guilty conscience over what is later revealed aborting her and Edward's unborn child. Yeah, fuck yeah. That's tight. Yeah. So good. And the I love movies like this where like the actual the art of it is what they use for their imagery inside. Yeah. And I fucking love it. <laughs> Some have noted that Edward showing up just as just when Susan and Hutton are leaving the abortion clinic is too co- too coincidental. Even though the film mainly takes place from Susan's point of view, it is speculated that after she broke up with them Edward most likely suspected that she was cheating on him. At some point, he discovered her infidelity, and he followed her and Hutton the day she ended up having the abortion. Uh, once he saw that they were at the abortion clinic, Edward put two and two together and realized that they were there for Susan to abort uh, his and her unborn child. But... Yeah. It is theorized that Tony's wife, Laura, represents what Edward thought of Susan when they were together, and Ray represents uh, what Susan truly is to Edward. Fuck. Yeah. That's rough. (laughs) (laughs) In hindsight, most of the events that happen are Susan's fault, and it shows that she is impulsive when it comes to decisions she's made in her life. For example, Susan was the one who automatically initiated the relationship between her and Edward right after uh, they had met back up since their childhood. She did it too quickly during the dinner scene between them and Susan's first flashback. Edward was taken aback when she suggested that he come home with her, implying that she wants to be intimate with him. Uh, she did this without taking any time to actually get to know him again and properly assess whether he was right, he was the right romantic partner for her or not, despite being childhood friends with him. Susan didn't listen to her mother, who warned her that she will end up hurting Edward. Despite her mother's cold demeanor, she knew what her daughter will, she knew that her daughter was impulsive when it comes to her choices. And Susan decides to cheat on Edward with Hutton after after Edward was seemingly becoming weak to her. Susan decides decided that Edward was no longer worth her time, and as she did at the start of their relationship, she initiated the breakup and divorce. Edward was willing to work it out, but she was adamant about her ending her relationship for good. Susan decides to or Su- Susan decided to terminate her, her pregnancy in order to cut off any ties with Edward and hand and had no intention of ever telling him this action. And last, uh, despite leaving Edward and marrying Hutton, thinking that she'll have a better life, Susan is miserable many years after the fact and guilt had consumed her. Interestingly, Susan mentioned uh, that several years after her divorce from Edward, she tried calling him at one point, and he hung up on her. (laughs) Fuck. Yeah. It's so aggressive. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Uh, It is heavily noted that in Edward's novel, India and Tony and Laura's daughter represent Edward and Susan's unborn child. Since Susan aborted their baby, Edward carried that pain of loss as a parent and metaphorically channeled it through the kidnapping, subsequent rape, and murder of India in the novel. There's a few scenes that showcase this notion. For example, during the scene where Ray and his gang are harassing Tony and his family, India, keep, India keeps throwing insults to Ray, which Ray re- responds angrily to her. Uh, with this, Laura keeps saying to Ray, she's just a kid. This symbolizes that Edward was expressing to Susan that their unborn child was just a kid when she terminated the pregnancy. Laura and India, India, Laura and India and 
end up being kidnapped by Ray and his gang. This symbolizes Susan leaving Edward while carrying their unborn child, hence taking the fam- hence taking his family away from him. And at one point during the during the novel, Tony has a nightmare of Ray raping India, which deeply disturbs him. This symbolizes Edward's anguish over the defilement of his unborn child during the abortion process that Susan willingly partook in. And the last one, uh, in the Nocturnal Animals novel, Tony and his family traveled on a seemingly endless road that leads nowhere during the night. This symbolizes how Edward and Susan's relationship ended up leading to nowhere and becoming dark due to the choices she made. Ooh. Metaphors, baby. Metaphors. We got a lot of them. So sick. And that's all the fun facts. I don't know how fun they were, but... Yeah. Hey. Fun. Fudge it. Heck of fun. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, you already know how this goes. Um, yeah, you guys can. You guys can follow us on Instagram at the underscore ripe underscore potatoes. You can follow us on our personals over at x chief underscore beef x and comic x Steve. Peace out, Girl Scout. Later. Later. Unicorn. What the fuck? This has been a ripe potatoes production.